Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've never said that word before, so. No, never. Not never, once in never. your life. Not one time ever. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> she, she lies. Just kidding, Mama Debs. We, we would oh, never say knows. those words. Oh, she knows. Oh, they know. <laughs> they know. Oh, goodness. So one thing about our mothers, they certainly know their daughters. It's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Welcome to the True Crime ABCs podcast. I'm Danny. And I'm Sarah. Take a journey with us through our alphabet of true crime, one letter at a time. Listen through the end of each episode for reading recommendations and a sneak peek into what's going on in the podcast next week. This episode is supported by the letter I. This week, I is for Indigenous, and we are talking about cases surrounding murdered and missing Indigenous women and people. Indigenous women and girls in North America face significantly higher rates of violence, including murder, disappearance, and sexual assault, um, significantly higher than other racial and ethnic groups. Hmm. According to a report by the Urban Indian Health Institute, there were 5,712 cases of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women and girls in 2016. Of those 5,712 cases of missing American Indian and Alaska Native women, Only 116 of those cases were logged into the Department of Justice database. Wow. Yeah. Severely underserved. Uh, Yeah. So a 2016 study by the National Institute of Justice found that more than four in five American Indian and Alaska Native women, or 84.3%, have experienced violence in their lifetime, including 56.1% who have experienced sexual violence. I know. In the year leading up to the study, uh, 39.8% of American Indian and Alaskan Native women had experienced violence, including 14.4% who had experienced sexual violence. Overall, more than 1.5 million American Indian and Alaska Native women have experienced violence in their lifetime. Of course, today we're also talking about our neighbor to the north, Canada. Um, So in 2014, Mm -hmm. a report... No. A rapoit? A rapoit. In Canada. (laughs) God. Um, So in 2014, there was a report done by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. They identified nearly 1,200 missing or murdered Indigenous women between 1980 and 2012. However, many of the activists and Indigenous leaders believe the actual number is so much higher due to underreporting and misclassification of events and victims. According to the CDC, so that's the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States, the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, non-Hispanic American Indian and Alaskan Native females experienced the second highest rate of homicide in 2020. Additionally, in 2020, homicide was in the top 10 leading causes of death for American Indian and American Native females from the ages of 1 to 45. And more than 2 in 5 non-Hispanic American Indian or American Native women, were raped in their lifetime. That's 44%. Even non-Hispanic American Indian American Native males have quite a bit of statistics on this. So they are the second highest rate of homicide compared with males of other racial and social ethnic groups, or racial and ethnic groups. And homicide was in the top 10 leading causes of death for them as well in 2020. And 
one in seven non-Hispanic American Indian or American Native males, so 14%, were coerced or forced to penetrate someone during their lifetime. So after that incredibly sad, depressing basket of statistics, mm-hmm. um, today is going to be a serious one. I don't know if it's going to be all that funny, except for when I talk about the douchebag in my story. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make fun of him a lot because he's a loser. I'm going to say now there are quite a bit of Ojibwe words and First Nation um, references that I really did my best to try and pronounce correctly. I looked up every pronunciation I could. Um, so please, if we have any First Nation or Native listeners, feel free to correct my pronunciation say, if I don't say it Always right. open to correction. <laughs> yes. Always uh, open listen, to we're here the right for it. Please it. educate me. Please tell me if I'm just butchering it. But I think I did a pretty good job of like, giving myself phonetic reminders of things mm-hmm. so that I'm just not a hot mess. Yeah. Because um, I really do want to do right by yeah. the victims and the families and these communities. So um, that is that on that. All right. Today I am talking about Jeremy Skibicki, who is, gosh, just a wildly racist piece of shit. I was going to say, take, take my story and then fast forward uh, 40 years. Yeah. And we're, it seems like we're yep. still doing Hop a lot of the same to stuff. to 2021, or 2022, and here's where we are. On May 16th, 2022, the partial remains of a young woman were found in a garbage bin outside of an apartment complex in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So we're in Canada again. The police believe that as part of the residential waste pickup that the remains would be placed in the Brady Road landfill or the remainder of the remains. And that's important to note for later. These remains were believed to be those of a missing 24-year-old woman, Rebecca Contois, who was a member of the Okaichakosipi, or the Crane River First Nation in Canada. They are located in Manitoba. Rebecca had been an active member in the Crane River First Nation and had a young daughter. She had been reported missing, and First Nation members had been conducting searches to find her. I made sure to find as much information, like to insert as much information I can about each of the women who died. Mm -hmm. So at a vigil for Contois, someone had described her as someone who always had a heart for everything, Mm -hmm. which I love. Like that just sounds like, like someone who's just passionate and loves everything. I'm here for it. Days later, a true piece of human trash was arrested in connection to her murder. This absolute garbage can of a man was, a man we use term loosely, was Jeremy Skibicki. Um, and Skibiki had actually somehow interacted with Contois at some time in the past. I'm not entirely sure when or how mm-hmm. a lot of the information, because this is still like an active ongoing thing. Right. Um, we don't have all the puzzle pieces yet. So if we get any updates in the future, I will be sure to insert them in future episodes. Skibiki was then charged with first degree murder of Rebecca Contois, but then also charged with an additional three first degree murders of other First Nations women in the Manitoba region. These women included 39-year-old mother of five, hey girl, Mm. mama bear, and grandmother, Mm. Morgan Harris. Morgan was described by her family as happy-go-lucky and silly and was part of the Long Plain Nation. Jeremy Skibicki was also charged with the murder of Mercedes Moran, a 26-year-old woman whose grandmother described her as happy, smiley, and trusting. 
both Morgan and Harris or both Morgan Harris and Mercedes Marin were members of the Long Plain Nation located in central Manitoba, but happened to be living in, Winnipe- in Winnipeg at the time that they were murdered. The last known victim of Skibiki is an unidentified woman, originally named Jane Doe by investigators, but later named Mashkore Bishikekwe, or Buffalo Woman in Ojibwe. Nice. A committee, uh, yeah, that one just rolled off the yeah. tongue. I said it, I said it like 700 times today. A committee of First Nation members actually met to give the unidentified woman a name that they felt would allow the woman's spirit peace until she could be identified. That's awesome. Which is like, oh, how beautiful. Yeah, no, that's great. So police believe that Morgan Harris was murdered on May 1st, 2022, that Mercedes Moran was murdered on May 4th, 2022, and that uh, Mashkore Bishikekwe, or the Buffalo Woman, was thought to be murdered on March 15th, 2022. And March 15th, beware the ads of March, some Julius Caesar pull there. Rebecca Contois' remains are the only ones that have been found. Wow. So speaking of that... Rebecca's partial remains were found in the garbage bins at the apartment complex where she may have been murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, But the police did not search the landfill to find the rest of her remains until a month later after multiple protests from local First Nations members. Why didn't we search the landfill? I feel like that's like step number two or three on the list of things. Yeah. After like, hey, find body, determine if murder, find rest of body. Yeah. You know where it is. Freaking go there. And additional yeah. three bodies <laughs> that the guys said were there. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. So these deaths and the police lack of enthusiasm to investigate them um, have sparked calls for action to do more to protect Indigenous women and girls. And honestly, Indigenous people in general. Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smith said of the murders, It's always unsettling whenever there's any kind of a serial killing. It does involve Indigenous women. We're very sensitive to the whole missing and murdered Indigenous women investigation and inquiry and the recommendations that came out of that. Right, except for the fact that you guys weren't actually willing to go out and find her. Right. <laughs> except for that. So the Winnipeg police essentially initially refused to search for the rest of her remains and then after upheaval finally went and, hey, guess what? They found them. What? So weird. Um... You know, when they looked for them, oddly enough, at the garbage dump, and they, you know, determined that it was Rebecca Contois, the police, the Winnipeg police currently are refusing to search the other landfills where the missing women's bodies may also be. So this lack of response has prompted intervention from the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Peoples Project, and Sandra Dillarand, who's the project lead for the MMIWP in Manitoba, said... This is not something that happened. It's something that continues to happen. And unless we are making systemic change to laws and policies, then it will continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Skibicki's lawyer said he will be pleading not guilty on all four counts of first-degree murder. And his trial is scheduled to begin in April of 2024. That'll be one to watch. Thank God for television, right? <laughs> I mean, thank God for TV. Thank oh, God yeah. that we can watch these things and, you know... I just think about like Jodi Arias where you could watch mm-hmm. every single minute moment of her trial. And I hope that this is the case here as well. Um, so a little bit about Skibiki. He's awful. Not sure if you heard. <laughs> um, he was awful prior to murdering these women. I would and assume he just so. continues to get more awful. Yeah. Um, so he's a known Nazi sympathizer. Oh, fun. And has, was described as anti-Semitic, misogynistic, and a white supremacist. Sounds so like he's a, a real, real stand-up guy. guy. Yep. Yeah. 
So he's the type of human dumpster who posts pictures of himself in Nazi regalia and has a history of violence against women. He's also a member of Holy Europe, which is a far-right hate group known for spouting bullshit about white supremacy and the need for cleansing the population for a return to, and I quote from their Facebook page, a renewal of a Christian Europe, European blood conservation, and the restoration of a patriarchate. Oh boy, that's a lot. That's a so, lot. So, kind of sounds like a sad bunch of little incels of whom any modern women do not want to procreate with. Bunch of losers. I can't imagine. Sound like a real fun time. Real fun time. I can't. So, according to court documents and hearings, Skibiki has threatened to kill two previous partners in recent years, and he was convicted of assaulting one of those women and then charged with assault in the connection with the other. Okay, so quick, not so quick, but quickish timeline of events. Okay, okay. So, we're going to start with Skibiki's early assaults and just kind of go through up until... Cool as recent information as I've got. So in June of 2015, Skibiki assaulted his common law partner. According to the Crown and his defense attorneys, he grabbed his pregnant partner's hair and punched her in the face several times, and then he tried to strangle yeah, her. Yeah, real class act. <laughs> he also told her he'd kill her if she called the police. So again, when we talk about, you know, trash can people, he's like... He's like the king of trash can humans. He's really up there in shittiness. In December of 2015, a different woman filed for a protection order against him, um, stating that in her application that she feared he won't stop until I'm dead. (laughs) So her request was dismissed. Of course. And it's not clear why, but the conditions of his probation um, from a previous conviction for assault... Uh, required that he stay away from her and could not make contact for two years. Hmm. So Skibiki in 2018 married the woman who was, who's now his estranged wife. So he married the woman and she said that she was under the influence of maybe crystal meth. I heard some mixed things. Oh gosh. Um, on their wedding day. And then she went to detox for meth four days after their wedding. Okay. And got clean. Poor thing. Then a year after they got married, the, uh, his now estranged wife was then granted a protection of order against him that lasted for three years. In the application for the order and in the actual order, she described, gosh, just a list of abuse mm-hmm. and constant threats to kill her. Jeez. I know. In January 21, Skibiki's wife alleged that he assaulted her. The woman's mother said in that incident, her daughter was chased down the apartment hallway with a knife. So he chased her with a knife. Jeez. Um, that incident left her with injuries from being punched in the head and hit over the head with a cane. Mm-hmm. He was charged with assault with a weapon and assault causing bodily harm. Um, but both those charges ended up being stayed. I'm not sure why. Jeez. Um, in October 21, a friend of Skabiki who spent time with the accused at an apartment that he lived in from the time he was arrested until his, until May 22, um, said that Skabiki would go to Winnipeg shelters for meals and would like creep around, like Mm -hmm. find people, like pick them up from the homeless shelter. Seems about right for him though. I mean, yeah, he's, seems like it's definitely in his lane. Sucks. So this same friend in October 21 said that he saw about half a dozen women go in and out 
um, many of whom were indigenous First Nations women. That friend was later told by Skibiki that he'd had at least 30 women stay with him. Gosh. Over time. Like, what a frickin' predator. Yeah. Like, somebody put this man down. Ugh. Um, oftentimes, there, Skibiki's friend saw that there was drug paraphernalia left mm-hmm. in the apartment mm-hmm. when the women would leave. So I'm sure he was just continuing to harm these women mm-hmm. and help them with addiction. And that is disgusting and vile, and he should be shot. Okay. December 14th, 2021, a judge then acquitted Skibiki in a trial connected with a violation of order from contacting his wife because the judge said he found her testimony unreliable due to her memory issues. The woman claimed that the woman had been diagnosed with a post-concussion syndrome due to his beatings. Jeez. Yeah, I... Vile. In December... On December 23rd, 2021, the Crown stays the assault charges against Skibiki... Later, a, spokes- a spokesperson for Manitoba, for the province, said the charges were reevaluated after, ju- after the judge made findings about the reliability of the woman's testimony in a separate trial involving Skibiki and his estranged wife around that time. So twice now, they're staying his conviction because of memory and reliability of the witness who has wow. memory issues because she was beaten by the man you're allowing to stay in population. So... I said it. Get it together, Canadian judges. In March, on March 15th, 2022, that is when police believe that Skibiki killed Mashkore um, Bishikikwe, or the Buffalo woman. Mm-hmm. Again, her body was never found, so I'm not entirely sure why, how they know this. Yeah. I'm going to assume maybe Skibiki said something. Mm-hmm. That day was also the last time that Mercedes Moran's family had contact from her. On May 1st, 2022, that is when police alleged that Skibiki killed Morgan Harris. Um, That was also the date that Harris was last seen near the area of Main Street and Henry Avenue in Winnipeg. On May 4th, 2022, that is when police alleged that Mercedes Moran was killed. Um... Again, I'm not sure where these dates are coming from. I'm assuming... Just like guessing and in a, like when people went mm-hmm. missing versus maybe something that Skibiki has said in interviews right. or something. Right. Um, since it is still an active investigation, a lot of stuff has not been released. May 14th or May 15th is when police allege that Skibiki killed Contois. And then finally, May 16th is when they found Contois or partial remains in mm. the garbage cans of the apartment complex. And then May 18th, so two days later, they arrest Skibiki in connection with the death that they have not yet identified that woman at that point as Rebecca Contois, but it is later confirmed that she is. Um, May 19th, police announced they've charged Skibiki with first-degree murder, and they detain him. They also released that it is, in fact, Rebecca Contois, and the partial remains that were discovered near the apartment complex were indeed hers. Mm-hmm. Um... In June 2022, this is where the garbage stops being dumped in the Prairie Green landfill due to protests. Okay. Claiming that, so people have been protesting saying, hey, you need to go look here. Yep. Like, we know, we have a pretty good idea that this is where she is. Yeah. 
At that point, they were saying that the Prairie Greenland fell, which is not where they found Contois' remains. It's where they believe Harris and Marin's remains are. Mm-hmm. But that fact, of course, is not publicly disclosed until January 2023. Gosh. When the group overseeing the efforts to figure out where the girls are find that it is, in fact, feasible to search the landfill mm-hmm. for their remains. Yeah. On June 2nd, 2022, police began searching Winnipeg's Brady Road landfill. And later that month, they actually find the remainder of her body. On June 20th, 2022, homicide investigators determined Harris and Marin's remains were likely dumped at the Prairie Green Land, or Prairie, yeah, Prairie Green Landfill. But again, don't publicly disclose that until December. By then, about 10,000 loads of debris had then been dumped Jeez. on the load they were interested in. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, June 21st, 2022, police announced human remains found at the city-run Brady Road landfill were those of Rebecca Contois. In late September of that year, Myron's families report her missing months after she was last seen. Uh, this is also around the time that the police issue a missing person release about her to solicit information from the public. Myron's grandmother, Donna Bartlett, said that Myron's mother was initially afraid to go to the police because she was afraid to know. Like, she just, mm. you know what I mean, was, like, afraid to find out what yeah. would actually happen to her. Yeah. In December of 2022, police announced Skibiki has been charged with the first-degree murder in the deaths of Harris, Myron, and the woman known as... The Buffalo Woman? Yeah. Mashkore Bishikikwe. Kikwe. I'm, at one point, I'm going to get good at saying it. Um, <laughs> there were a couple of times where it rattled right off your tongue. <laughs> as far as the Buffalo Woman goes, the police had previously said that they believed she was indigenous and in her 20s but won't say how they know like there's no body where is this information coming from like i'm so interested to know once his trial starts how all of this is coming out gosh i'm i hope that one's going to be televised i'm sure it will be but yeah that's gonna be interesting to see On December 6, 2022, police officially say they believe Harrison Myron's remains are in the Prairie Green Landfill, but they will not say if it would be feasible to search there. Earlier that same day, Harris's daughters, Cambria and Kara, call on police to do whatever it takes to find the remains of their mother and the other women killed. Uh, Cambria Harris spoke at a news conference in Ottawa. Again, her daughter, uh, Harris's daughters have been very outspoken and mm-hmm. part of the, you know, push to have their mother's remains found. So on December 8th, 2022, Heather Stephenson, who is the premier premier of Manitoba, which is like kind of like the governor, I would guess, announces operations have been paused at the Prairie Green Landfill, which should have been done six months earlier, just mm-hmm. saying. On December 9th, 2022, the chair of Winnipeg's police board says that officials are trying to find a way to search the landfill for the remains, which is cool. Um, They're really trying, guys. They're really trying. Yeah, really working on it hard. By December 15th, the federal government confirms that it will cover the cost of a study about whether remains could be recovered. How about instead of paying for a study, you just pay to search the landfill? Just throwing that, makes, that out there. What? What? I don't understand. I don't get it. I. This is why politics is stupid. Why? Don't pay to figure what? out if you can do it. Put that more money towards freaking doing it. It's I bet they come back difficult. and they're like, you know, we did the survey and, you know, it's just going to be too expensive for us to do this. 
Yeah, we spent $73 million <laughs> on the survey. Uh, oh, my gosh. So, you know, we just, we've run out of budget. So we're just going to go sit back in our offices and continue to do nothing. Oh, boy. Government's bullshit, just saying, guys. All right. December 16th, Manitoba's premier, Heather Stephenson, pledges her support for a feasibility study. Again. Great job. She also clarified that only one cell in the privately run landfill has had operations paused indefinitely after previously announcing that operations were paused for the entire landfill. So, a.k.a. she lied. Isn't that cute? Oh, boy. January 6th, allegedly. Listen, I'm going to put allegedly all in caps here. Everything's alleged. Politics are bullshit. That's not alleged. Okay. January 6th, 2023, Winnipeg's Brady Road landfill reopens to the public after protests, um, protesters calling for a search of the dump blocked access for weeks. Mm -hmm. So they had actually had like a blockade. um, The demonstrators did. They wanted the entire dump search for remains on the off chance that we only know of four women and there may be more. Mm-hmm. That seems legit. Seems like yeah. a reasonable request. Absolutely. It does. January 17th, the assembly of Manitoba chiefs. Um, I think I just said Manitoba. You it's did. That you said Manitoba. Yeah. The assembly of Manitoba chiefs, um, which are chiefs of the, First Nations tribes in the area. The Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs says it expects to complete a feasibility study on whether it was possible to recover the two women's remains by March 31st. Um, That advocacy group is part of the Landfill Research Committee. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said while they're still trying to request a pause in Winnipeg's Brady Road landfill, they're focusing on Prairie Green in the hopes that they can find um, Harris and Morgan. Sorry, yeah, Harris and... Marin. Okay. By the end of January, there had been no garbage dumped in the targeted section of the facility since previous June, <clears throat> but they were dumping in other parts of landfills yeah. in the area. Um, and then finally, on February 8th, 2023, well, not finally, finally for this part of the story. Yeah. In February 8th, 2023, the federal government said it will provide to fund a study again. Why are we giving half a million dollars to fund the study? Fund the search. I don't... Am I I wrong here? Like, am I dumb? I don't... I don't understand. I feel like a... I'm a wildly educated human, and I don't get this. It does not make sense. Like, this does not compute. I feel like you could pay a lot of cadaver dogs to walk around the landfill for five hundred thousand dollars. Like, you could find thousands of volunteers. You don't need to pay. Like, come on, I don't get it. So the final piece of this asinine, stupid puzzle of funding studies instead of whatever. On May 12th, 2023, the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs Chiefs said that a study to figure out whether this it would be successful to search the Prairie Green landfill, said it could take up to three years and cost $184 million. <laughs> I don't... I don't get it. And I know the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs are First Nation. Mm-hmm. Like, they are First Nations people. Yeah. I, I, does the study mean that that includes the search? I d- yeah, I don't know. That's... I don't know. So, anyway, so there are signs still all over um, those landfills. 
you know, saying, remember our women, Native lives mm-hmm. matter, you're not forgotten, we demand justice. This, this whole thing just, like, infuriates me. Yeah, it's a little bit mind-blowing. Um, so if you are not a person who enjoy, who likes to read the books that we're going to recommend, go watch Wind River. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Let's be honest, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen are beautiful and great actors. Um, and it also, again, the end of it raises awareness and shows statistics of crimes against Native and Indigenous mm-hmm. women. So, um we are here to show our support for the MMIWP mm-hmm. and make it make sense, guys. If you have information about why they're funding a study instead of funding a search, please let me know. Please provide details for us because, wow. Yeah, <laughs> we need to know. I'm very confused. I don't get it. Like, let's start sifting through garbage. I'll put on some gloves. We'll go to Canada. Yeah, that's... It's fine. So that is my story. I, again, as we learn more information about this, I will throw in some updates in future episodes, maybe even dedicate an, an entire like bonus episode toward yep. an update. Yep. Um, but you better believe I will be watching this trial if it is possible. I got to look up whether or not that's a thing in Canada, whether yeah. they, I would assume they're getting, lines. they could get American networks. Oh, Jesus. Well, or at least that I'm sure that there's some kind of court TV up there. It's oh, gotta be. oh, for sure. Gotta I mean, be. listen, it's all government funded, so court TV be. Canada <laughs> televised Canadian. Yeah, it's going to be trials. So interesting to see it unfold, and hopefully, um, justice see. is brought for these women. Um, not swimming trials. I want. Court trials. Jesus Christ on a cracker. Anyway, I'll, as this court um, trial is supposed to start in 2024, I mean, because it is law-related, I assume it won't start until later. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we get more information, I will be sure to keep everyone posted. I'm, you know, it's been in the news a lot. Mm-hmm. It, like, breaks my heart, and I would love... For the world yeah. to be a happier place. So that is I very, my very long-winded tale. I apologize, but I wanted to make sure that I did it justice. Yeah. And gave these beautiful women the acknowledgement that they deserve. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so some of the stats that I provided were going back to, like, the 80s in Canada. And that's actually when mm-hmm. my story starts. Um, oh, Okay. So I am talking about John Martin Crawford, or John Crawford, mm-hmm. um, and he was a Canadian um, from Saskatchewan, and he was an mm-hmm. active serial killer in the 80s and 90s. So mm-hmm. um, he was convicted, actually, of multiple murders in Saskatchewan. Um, but What a dick. I know, right? So <laughs> he... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a gem. So, you know, I think that a lot of the common things that we see when we look at some of the serial killers, their lives, all of that, there's very common threads, right? Like rough childhood, mm-hmm. history of criminal behavior from a young age. Right. Um, I don't think that they're, that's different in this story um, mm-hmm. with this particular guy. So, you know, he was sort of a smaller criminal, little things as he was growing up. Um, and then mm-hmm. right around 1980... Um, things escalated. So his first known victim was Jean Mockery. 
um, and she was a 34-year-old mm-hmm. um, who was killed in 1981. So that was the first known victim. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't actually apprehended or arrested until 1992 when he was charged with an additional three murders. Um, and those were the murders of Shelley Napope, Eva Taysom, mm-hmm. and Kalinda Waterhen. And their mm-hmm. bodies were all found in remote areas around Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. So, oh, P.S. Canada, you have the silliest names. Listen, we're not that far off in Michigan. They're all they're all na- <laughs> you know <laughs> they all started oh, yeah, as native <laughs> it's native names, right? Like us, Wisconsin, I feel like it's Canada. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's like bastardized versions of it. Though. Oh, for sure. You know, like like in Ojibwe, they they all sound beautiful, but when like when we say them, it sounds like like Sa- a cartoon. Saskatoon, place. Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So of course the the first few years that things were going on, he wasn't really on the radar. The investigation into a lot of the murders were pretty challenging because the bodies were found in such remote locations. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, as well as the fact that his victims were essentially marginalized and super vulnerable people, women. Right. It wasn't until he was arrested in 1992 on something completely unrelated that they started to suspect him in those murders, which I think is crazy. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that shit. It makes me angry. Well, you know, he just like flew under the radar until he got like some kind of you know traffic notif- violation or something silly like that. I don't know. It's right. just crazy. <sighs> so he faced multiple murder trials because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there were multiple victims here. So the very first trial was for Shelley Napo and he was first tried in 1995 for her. Mm-hmm. Um, he was found guilty and received a life sentence for her murder. He was found guilty and received a life sentence for her murder. Shortly thereafter, they did the trial for Eva Tasup. That was 1996. So he was tried for that murder and was again found guilty. He received another life sentence at that time. Um, oh, damn. Yeah. So they, were, they weren't messing around, which was wonderful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um obviously this guy is trouble yeah the third trial that they had that was sort of like right in this series of years so 1997 he went to trial again for kalinda the murder mm-hmm. of kalinda waterhen mm-hmm. he was again found guilty and once more received an additional life sentence so he had three life sentences one for each of the murders which was Right. Um, So, of course, while in prison, like any good serial killer does, he confessed to two additional murders. um, Well, how fun for him. Yeah, right? Um, He really, I'm sure, felt like he needed to get that off his chest. He was one of those guys, though, that I think took pride in the work that he was doing. So, you know. Yeah, a job well done for being a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the two additional murders um, that he did confess to was that of Joan Lavelle. And Diane Gothier. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And again, those those confessions led to two additional life sentences that he was convicted of in 1997. Yeah. So what is that, five total that we're up, we're up to? Yep. We're up um, to five. Including, that's including the two that he had confessed to randomly, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, of course, we had a few other victims that were found that never, they never ended up going to trial just because of lack of evidence or what have mm-hmm. you. So unfortunately there were some families that didn't get probably the justice or the closure that they felt like they needed. Right. But that was Symphony Joy Gray. Um, and sh- her 
body was found in 1992 um, in a wooded area near a golf course. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Pamela George. um, So Crawford was actually convicted of manslaughter for her case, but not found of murder. So, of course, the sentence wasn't as bad. It wasn't a life sentence or anything like that. Um, But her her body was also found in a shallow grave near a lake in 1995. So, again, all Mm -hmm. sort of in the... The early to mid nineties, right? Same area. Yeah, they think that the the start of the criminal, like the start of the attacks, was near Thunder Bay, Ontario, um, around nineteen ninety two, and mm-hmm. he was linked to several sexual assaults and murders in that area or, or during that time period as well. Damn. Crawford was in prison, um, obviously, for quite some time after the convictions that he got in the life sentences in 1990, what, five, six, and seven, mm-hmm. and then the additional two. So I guess in 2000, he was, again, serving his time and actually confessed to a couple more murders. <laughs> um, this a couple, guy sucks. I know. He's really, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I would like to look a little bit more into his life and see what maybe led to this, but it's just so um, obviously was targeting a very specific yeah. group of people. So, right again, he confessed to a couple additional crimes while he was in prison mm-hmm. around 2000. And then in 2001, he was actually found guilty of three additional murders. <sighs> so, um, wild. Yeah. So he was serving his time out in Canada, um, you know, in prison. Obviously, they locked him away for several lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So John. Crawford actually passed away um, in prison, of course, serving out his many mm-hmm. life sentences in t- April of 2020. Oh, my God. Please tell me he died of COVID and it was horrific. I, I will let you know um, next <laughs> week because I don't I don't know if I have those details. But yeah, yeah, again, I hope it was long and drawn out and painful and terrible. Yeah, I hope it really hurt <laughs> and that... You got some penance in life that I hope you receive in the afterlife. Continue. Yeah. I always think of um, the movie Little Nicky, which... Oh my gosh, yes. I got made fun of a few weeks ago for loving (gasps) by my husband's best friend. Okay, well, your husband's best Um, friend, first of all, no. He's just wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I know. Listen, Paul, you're wrong. (laughs) Little Nicky's a fucking gem. Um... But he made fun of me for loving it, and I always think of the part where Hitler is getting the pineapple. Always um, shoved it up just his ass joy for every day for <laughs> the rest of his miserable, sad yeah. existence in hell. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> love it so much. One of the big things, like obviously, there's a ton of stuff going on right now around current cases this is a huge topic of conversation just because of the all of the different things that are happening and sort of the right all of these victims that are getting lost in the shuffle um yeah and it's it's crazy to read because the the john martin crawford case shed light on the same issue that we're talking about still to this day back in the right. 80s and 90s of hey like this should be taken care of and these like by now these victims deserve justice for the crimes that you know took place against them so it definitely highlighted the need for like better police investigations additional support for these communities and then efforts to to combat that sort of you know and like again in the law in the i mean in the whole overview of the history of the americas 
Like they were here first. Like we should be treating we should be treating these populations better. I mean truly. We did a disservice. We should probably be treating them better. And you know, I feel like they should at least get the same support that all American citizens get. Which I don't know if that's great, but <laughs> All right, book recommendations this week. Um again because my case is fairly new, they I haven't found any books about it yet i'm sure there will be in years to come let's be honest but i am going to suggest killers of the flower moon the osage murders and the birth of the fbi by david gran it is one of my favorite books it like i i'll have to take a picture of it and put it on the instagram (laughs) because i have read this book so many times the cover is falling off oh my gosh like that is how much i love this book so it was the first true crime book that i ever read Oh. And it, it basically talks about uh, a slew of crimes against indigenous Americans mm-hmm. here, in, obviously here in the United States and in the early 1900s and how it was actually the start of the FBI Wow! because of tribal complications and confusions about jurisdiction and things. Mm-hmm. This is where the FBI became a thing. Awesome. So I have a book, um, by Warren Goulding. It's called Just Another Indian, A Serial Killer mm-hmm. and Canada's Indifference, which Warren Goulding is an investigative journalist who mm-hmm. wrote this book. So it's it goes into a lot of detail around the crimes, the investigation. So if you want more details around all of those um, pieces, this is definitely a great book to read. Um, mm-hmm. Goulding also visited the families of the victims and he uses the victims' memories and a series of letters written by one of the victims to mm-hmm. help paint really intimate portraits of who these women were. So Ooh, um, I again, love that. a really cool, a really cool read. Yeah, we're gonna talk about your uh your feather and your DNA test <laughs> in this episode. Should we do that? Yep. yep. We're gonna do that. Um <laughs> I first want to state that I know that there is like this common American trope where everybody says, I was a mm-hmm. Cherokee princess, burr, 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 <laughs> um, to make people, to make like white people feel better about taking other people's land. Um, so the running story in my family growing up, my, my grandparents were from North Carolina, my mom, on the, my mom's side of the family, my grandparents are from North Carolina, Appalachia, Lake West Virginia, North Carolina, and we were always told growing up that we like we somewhere there is paperwork I think that shows that we were that we are descended from Cherokee mm-hmm. people um <clears throat> but then like my cousin who is my mom's brother's son mm-hmm. I th- I'm pretty sure it was him he took a DNA test and it didn't have any <laughs> native in it ooh uh-oh or maybe it was my brother who took it and didn't have any native in it I don't know, but, <laughs> but like my brother and I are very clearly, yeah, you like guys definitely have some Native American in us. Like we, the genes are strong, mm-hmm. even if it's not much, the genes are strong. Yeah. Um, so when, <clears throat> but then I took a DNA test and we are, so it's fine. <laughs> it's a very, it's not as much as we thought, but we are. But, um, but I had been told my whole life, we're Cherokee, like, be proud of who you are, girl. You know, my dad's family is Dutch. My mom's family was a mix of British and then the Native American. So, you know, I was always raised under the understanding that, like, you embrace all of your culture and it's who you are and whatever. So 
when I was 18, I because I look Native American my whole life, I always very closely, you know, connected to that part of the background and was the one in my family who was always very interested in it and, and did more research than others and whatever. So when we were, when I was 18, or on my friend's, was it Cora's 19th birthday? I, I just remember. Or 21st? I just remember that this oh, was no, done in a house. It And not in an. It was done in a house uh, where we all got tattoos for Cora's birthday party in our friend's dining room. Yeah, it was a classy our, event. It it was a very questionable choice on our part. I'm surprised we still have the limbs that we had tattoos put on. So I don't feel like the tattoo artist. Well, he was a. I feel like a he good tattoo. Artist. No, that's what I'm saying. I feel like he was more credible than the situation we were in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. He is an amazing artist. Yeah. Yes. His tattoos are are beautiful and amazing, and we all love our tattoos. But the situation upon which we had tattoos done was, like, I sat in a dining room chair, and I sweat a lot. I'm pretty sure so we had So I have pizza. this, like, beautiful yeah. organic feather on my foot that I love. It is one of the most beautiful feather tattoos I've ever seen, and I'm not just saying that because it's mine, mm-hmm. but... Um, and it was one of those things where we had, like, I had shown a picture of what I wanted done, and he had done, like, a carbon drawing of it and put the thing on my foot. But well, apparently one of my responses to pain is to sweat profusely. <laughs> so my foot was so sweaty that the, like, the copied one just kept wiping off. So he's like, do you just care if I, hand, if I do this by hand? I was like, have at it. So my tattoo's beautiful because it's organic and hand-drawn yeah. and... Um, it did turn out great. It is, so. Still looks great. Um, my mom, uh, like part of the reason, so my mom is very anti putting holes or ink on your body. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> so like when I got my nose pierced, I had that for a long time. And then I got this tattoo done and I was like, I sent it to my brother and I was like, Hey, you should break this to mom. Cause my mom loves my brother more. And <laughs> that's not true. Uh. Um, but my mom's a lot easier on Christopher. Controversial <laughs> opinion. Stuff. My mom's just harder on me about these things. <laughs> yeah, controversial. Mom Deb's like, absolutely not. Say I can hear her right now. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. But I had the tattoo done. My mom was really pissed. But I was like, I got a feather, Mom, so I'm celebrating our heritage that you gave me. And so she was less mad, but she's still mad about yeah. it. Yeah. She's not mad about it. She's salty about it. Yeah. Turned out great. Oh, uh, outro. <coughs> in with the outro and out with the old, if you will. Yeah. Next week's episode will be supported by the letter J. Uh, check us out on social media and give us your best guesses on what our theme for next week will be. If you'd like to hear more from us, please check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon at True Crime ABC Podcast, or email us your thoughts, ideas, and listener stories to truecrimeabcpodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Yeah. Sh- send us a shout out. Uh, say hello. Yes. Let us know what your favorite true crime stories are. And, uh, and love also, to hear from like, you. please, please email us and tell us things you want to see. I'm an old person doing social media and I'm trying really hard, but I don't, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. So please tell us and help me, help me help you. What do you want to see? What do you oh enjoy? I've been trying to post not just episode related things, but also like, Funny yes. memes and things lately, so cool. hopefully that is better. Like and Nick's best friend and my and our 
very lovely best friend Jenna has have been giving me pointers on social media and SEO stuff and we're awesome. trying not to suck. Yay. Yeah. Go us. Also, um, hashtag fuck shingles. Uh, get your vaccines, everybody. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that actually works vaccine. or not. If but... you're immunocompromised, guys, go get a shingles vaccine because it hurts a lot and it is very painful. And not... thank God it's in a place that I can cover because not a fun experience. Uh... No, nope, it's been awful. And I cried myself to sleep on Wednesday. So go get your shingles vaccine so that you don't have horrific nerve pain damage when you're 35. Yay! Immune systems. Yay. Immune systems are cool. <laughs> stress. Work-related stress is also cool. Oh, my gosh. Which I'm pretty sure is what caused this. <laughs> uh, yay, school year. Yay, teaching. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So, um, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope that you guys are enjoying. We're having fun. Absolutely. We We're having too. some fun here. Um, we also, shit, um, we also need to do a one, two, three clap because <laughs> oh. we did it at the beginning of this, which is fine. I can line it up from the end. Like okay. it's not a big deal. Um, I just, you line it up from behind. I just realized that. Oh God. <laughs> okay. All right. One. clap, motherfuckers. <laughs> one, two, three. Oh my God. Awesome. Oh jeez. Okay. <laughs> Cliffity clap, motherfuckers is going on a mug. <laughs> It can be like our Christmas merch. 